Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Labelled Podcast. This is take two of the recording mm-hmm. because I've got an electrician in this afternoon and my computer turned off while I was in the middle of a sentence. So I'm here. We'll see if I stay here. Lucy's here. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll, uh, we, we will see how we get on. How yeah. are you doing, Lucy? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Um, other than, um, yeah, all the all the work we've got going on in our house, my husband has taken the wall down between our kitchen and dining room. Um, did you, did you uh, want the wall down? In between we the did, kitchen? yeah. Okay, it fine. wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't come downstairs one day <laughs> to just be like, where the fuck is the wall gone? Um, <laughs> Do I need to call Nick Knowles? <laughs> we, have, we have got just wires hanging from the yeah. ceiling that um, I am just, it feels like it's just a matter of time before the cat decides that those are the new fun things to play with. and mm, Possibly, yes. uh, But that is why we have an electrician in. So, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's, um, I, I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to when my house is done yeah. and not chaotic. No, it, yeah, I can understand that. As somebody who recently had builders in, I can it was three days, Alice, and I was being a drama queen, wasn't I? So, you, were. you know. That's you very unlike you. <laughs> Just a Usually bit. so calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hope, fingers crossed we get it sorted soon. Shall we introduce our... Yes. Yes, let's introduce our guest. Yes. We have got, as usual, guys, another guest in for you this week. This week we've got Emily, who is coming to us from Gay Paris, Ooh. which is exciting. Fancy. Hi, Hi. Emily. Welcome Hi. to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so how is Paris today? It is incredibly hot. I mean, it was um, really humid yesterday, but I think that's now like rained off um which is really good because humidity on the metro is um really not the one mm, no no i imagine it's it's like i mean the tube in london any time between like sort of april and september you just want to die yeah not a fun place to be <laughs> well yeah as well especially because if you're on the priority seat as i imagine you two are um, you're just face to stomach. Yeah, <laughs> stomach. often the way it's often the way. Whenever you're like crammed in anywhere small as a disabled person, you are often greeted with some part, some part of somebody's anatomy that you don't really want to be face to face with. Yeah, it's not. It's not nice. Not nice. Mm. No. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, I always. Uh, sort of I feel weirdly protective of the dog in that situation as well because I'm just like like you're just gonna get like rained on by sweat in those situations and just knees in the face and And you kind of you kind of start to realize how many people don't understand personal hygiene (laughs) oh god yeah that's it's it's I end up like cradling my crutches like it's been yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be all right soon. Fifteen more minutes I can get off the metro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's not it's not it's not nice. No. So what are you doing in Paris? So Emily? I'm doing an internship because I really wanted to get some work experience. I mean, had I had um, had COVID not happened, I'd have kind of wanted to get some more work experience done by now. Um, but obviously I was shielding on and off and it was just a bit of a mess. So I was like, okay, I really need to take this year to get some stuff on my CV. Um, so I am a digital communications intern for a rare disease charity, which is really cool. That is really cool. That's really cool. 
it's That's nice cool. to be working in like a really lovely and inclusive space as well because mm. obviously well you'd hope that they'd be really good about things like meaning in time off the hospital and just general accent yeah. bits and bobs okay and uh is it a like french specific charity is it a french specific disease Right, so it's called Eurodis. It's the European body for um, all rare diseases. So we mm-hmm. basically coordinate everyone all over Europe. So wow. each different disease, each different thing. And I'm specifically the Rare Disease Day intern. So right. if you've heard of Rare Disease really? Day, mm. I um, help run that campaign. Oh, exciting. That sounds really interesting um well you uh you mentioned that you've got crutches emily so how do you feel a little bit about telling us about your um kind of lived experience of being disabled and and what kind of got you into working in this uh for the rare disease charity right so i have cerebral palsy which is not a rare disease it is actually the most common no no (laughs) very very common i have cerebral palsy too that's how common it is yeah exactly (laughs) i know like a million different people with it and it's yeah it's the most common lifelong motor disability but i um i i guess my sort of journey with it start started way back over lockdown too i basically had an epiphany where I realized I couldn't do serious journalism anymore as my like career choice. I was going to be like, you know, covering disability rights stuff and all that kind of thing. And over COVID, I just realized it was making me very, very depressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was just really not good for my mental health. I remember the article that broke me was, um, do you remember when all the DNR stuff was coming? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do no, this. No, no, it's that, grim. pretty grim. That was, that was a bit of a turning point. For me. I worked in advocacy, um, specifically doing a lot of like statutory advocacy. And yeah, the the prevalence of um, DNARs for people with learning disabilities specifically, I can yeah. remember one of the other, um, we had a sessional member of staff in our team who was also a trainee doctor who... Um, said you know i had a conversation with one of my consultants about a 32 year old woman with a learning disability and he wanted to put a dnar on for her um dnar is do not attempt attempt. resuscitation um and they, they put those things in place for people generally under the assumption that if you un resuscitation is a really physically um a sort of what's very labor intensive isn't it well it's i mean it breaks your ribs yeah it's you know it can leave you very very physically poorly for a long time afterwards and weakened as well yes so quite often if you have if you're say particularly you know very elderly if you are resuscitated and it then means you're going to have to spend a further 12 weeks in hospital Mm -hmm. um and actually that might be the end of your life anyway in hospital being in hospital means you're in high risk of you know never mind covid or the other hospital-born diseases they might want to put a dnar on you know a doctor may decide that actually that's that's the right choice for you however people were being put on dnars for um because they had physical disabilities or learning disabilities and some doctor somewhere had basically gone well yeah. Their, their life's not going to be worth yeah. living no, after it's, it's, undergoing resuscitation. And like Emily said, it is absolutely horrific. I, that first lockdown, uh, I've said before, you know, we started a podcast and it was the main thing keeping me going, to be honest, because it was a distraction from all of the utter hell. Um, but I was petrified that if I got COVID, yeah, I'd me. go into hospital and never come out again. So I... And it, it's Stayed because of those DNARs yeah. that, that people were, you know, Lucy would, wouldn't would have COVID. You know, Lucy was is not, Lucy doesn't have a res- respiratory issue. She doesn't have heart condition. If Lucy, if you'd got COVID and gone into hospital with COVID loose, mm. you'd have been put on a ventilator. Yep. And in theory, unless for some reason you stop, stop breathing because of COVID and they needed to resuscitate you, otherwise... Th- 
there's no reason why you would you would have been particularly vulnerable to death by COVID. No, absolutely but, not. But it's the fear that you'll you'll go into hospital and just because people will look at you and go, well, she's disabled, they'll mm. stick you on a DNAR and mm. then if they if if for whatever reason you stop breathing, they'll just leave you there. Exactly. And yeah. the thought of me being on a ventilator for for the starts off is horrific. Yeah. And the thought of them putting a DNA R on me is even more because could you? Um, I mean, I I would be kicking off from the rooftops. Yeah. Like if if I was able to speak and verbalize, which I am normally, mm. like I would be out. Like I get very feisty over things and. The thought of not being able to tell them, don't you dare put one of those on me, is nightmarish. The sit the situation, thankfully, um, you know, you and I and uh, are privileged enough that we we do have family who would advocate for us. Yeah. I mean, it's diff it was difficult yeah. in COVID situations for families to even get there, but particularly for people with learning disabilities who are living in care homes. Mm -hmm where there's not a lot of family contact that's yeah. those were the people who were just being being left to die not it's it's not uh there there weren't they weren't getting the covid support or th it was they were just being left because if they came to a point where they needed resuscitation people were just deciding it wasn't worth their time for yeah. to resuscitate that person because their life wasn't worth living afterwards so yeah, I can I can understand why that might be the thing that makes you go, you know what, serious journalism's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just realized <laughs> it wasn't making me happy. Like I, no. I I always sort of thought if I do something really serious, it's gonna make me feel like I've got a like a sense of fulfillment and that's gonna keep me going. Mm -hmm. But I realized now I can do something a little less emotionally taxing and still yeah. feel absolutely helping people doesn't have to make you miserable no yeah like um i know there's a lot of you know we've had conversations before about that kind of virtue volunteering of of people yeah helping other people because it makes them feel good but i think there is a middle ground between you know going actually i i work doing something that is important and helps people but it doesn't make me feel like i'm beating myself against a horrible brick wall of death every day mm. yeah so then i started my blog um a shaky precipice in the second lockdown um because during the it wasn't oh no because i started shielding before we actually went into lockdown but right obviously i can't I was not having a good time then and also because I was shielding anyway mm -hmm. and quite isolated from the world because I was uh, back at uni then. Mm. Um, I kind of, when did we actually go into lockdown? Because it's all sort of blur. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make a difference to me. Um, so I did that then and then I started getting traction on it. And then when I was looking for Europe Broad jobs, I was kind of focusing on journalism and comms and then I saw this one for uh, Eurodis and I was like oh this is really good um and then when it came to my interview they was they said oh we've really we've read your blog that's the kind of wow like yeah that's cool we would like yeah. you to produce for our website amazing yeah okay oh that's really cool so um I guess it's kind of it's you've you've moved across that kind of from journalism into kind of content production yes i think because yeah. i i think i want to be in the sort of fashion beauty pop culture space yeah. and i would argue that the line between what's pr and what's journalism is very very blurry yes it mm. is yes in that kind of realm so as far as i'm concerned if i have the skills and experience for both yes yeah it won't do any harm will it do you yeah, know what exactly. i mean and I think, I think to a certain extent, Emily, being in the sort of pop culture sector, when you're flying the flag for kind of like disability kind of things is, is in some respects, a little bit more helpful to raising awareness and, you know, things around disability because pop culture, everybody consumes pop culture, don't they? Even mm. if they don't realise they're doing it. Yeah. Whereas the journalistic more sort of, hard-hitting stuff 
you actually have to kind of get people to read it and you know yeah. it's a big question mark isn't it really over whether they're going to read something highbrow about the disabled people um you know and i think it it sort of it mainstreams disability a bit mm. more normalizes disability yeah, exactly. a bit more yeah, it yeah. takes it out of that like oh it's disability disabilities in the news again because you know there's a rights problem or there's a justice problem or there's a medical problem yeah. into yeah. like yes there's all of that stuff but also like some of us really like nail polish and fake eyelashes like, <laughs> that. and that's valid as well yeah exactly uh, yes it is yes um yeah so i think i think and does it, uh, do you feel happier now emily yeah i feel a lot happier now i mean there's been a lot of other stuff in my life that sort of happened between now and then i think covid in a lot of ways has been a weird baptism of fire for me in my late teens early 20s but there's several things to discuss about that but no (laughs) it's really um it's been really good i feel like i found something that i'm really good at and that does a fair bit of good but doesn't like keep me up at night as well i feel like i've hit the balance now yeah that is and it that that is the key that is the key to doing anything in life finding something that a you feel confident in and b that is nice for you to do like Mm -hmm. they always say find a job you love and you'll never do another day's work in your life because it doesn't feel like work um and i think that is so true isn't it really um so i'm I'm glad you're in a in a better place yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean it to sound like that, Baz, but yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's good to know that people are happy, I suppose. Especially yeah, I think it's been a big thing with COVID. A lot of people mm. have been like, I want to do X rather than Y. So I, I yeah. don't think I'm the only one by a long shot. No, no. Lots of people I think have reevaluated. My my husband decided to take the leap into going um freelance and contracting. Uh, rather than working for an agency because he just got sick of having to you know fit in other people's boxes um and you know he wasn't able to do the work that that was important to him yeah I think there are lots of people doing that and I mean you know it's very that's kind of what we're doing with the show I think Lucy's we we both sort of went this is the thing that we we love doing yeah let's actually make the time to do it and i think because we we me and both me and you alice we work in the disability sector i think it's fair to say um and uh i think being able to put our own personal spin on disability is quite nice do you know what i mean because you spend we spend a lot of our time having to be very sort of matter of fact about disability you can't you know we, we can't put too much personality in because you need to get these facts across or whatever or um and then we, we come and do the podcast and spend an hour and a half a week being very silly <laughs> i think yeah it's um i certainly with my job change that yeah. i and i changed jobs at the end of 2021 uh in my last job it was very much um you know statutory advocacy there is Mm -hmm. certain things you have to do and as part of that yes you are working on behalf of a lot of disabled people but it's a like you say it's a very um prescribed sort of approach whereas uh in my new job and and i think part of the reason that my new job fits me so well is because I get to do the same things I do with Lucy, which is <laughs> kind of just chat about stuff. And, yeah, it's, um, yeah, and I think I think being able to have that lived experience of disability is really helpful. I don't know whether you find that, Emily, having like a lived experience of disability is helpful. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's definitely, I think, especially now that I've made more friends with non-disabled people at uni, mm. um, I, I've sort of noticed more that like, I've noticed the differences a bit more um, mm. in terms of like how I approach uh, situations. I think as well with uni, it's it's very it's quite a lot of the time it's a melting mixing pot um, yeah. scenario, you know, for both positive and negative reasons. But it's been interesting speaking to different people and like how many disabled people they know and how many people with this. And I think that. And I've said this before that for me, you know, I, I, for most of my life have been like quite wary of identifying as disabled. And so the idea of that kind of that, that melting pot for me, 
um, during uni, which was a very long time ago because I'm very old, um, <laughs> is, um, is I heard a thing on the radio earlier today where somebody said that the band Blue are 20 years old. Oh, stop it! <laughs> I used anyway. to really fancy Duncan James. Will you stop it? Stop it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, for me, like that melting pot, it was trying to find my place in that whilst specifically not really wanting to engage with a certain part of my identity yeah whereas I feel like I can actually I can imagine Emily for you kind of going well I'm disabled and that uh sort of colors my approach to everything yeah it's probably quite empowering actually yeah I mean yeah it is a lot I mean the thing is I go to Oxford, right? So mm. I can't avoid access needs because everywhere is like <laughs> yeah. 20 years old. Yeah, and yeah. I have to be like, every time I have a new tutor, I have to be like, hi, I'm going to need to use that one room that you've got that has like an automatic door and things that yeah. you can just stick all of us in. Don't worry, um, I'll just sit here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> so it, I kind of can't avoid it. Also, I um, my sort of introduction to the disability community was at quite a young age. My mm. parents were very, um, I don't fault them for it at all, but when I was a young kid, they were very much like, you know, she's just our daughter. We don't want to like put anything sort of on her, mm -hmm. which I think was very much seen as like the progressive thing to do um, during the sort of early to mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. um, but then I started swimming and i um joined the northwest um para squad um and started doing nationals and going to cp sport events and i met like loads of different people um with various different things um but as a lot because a lot of people with cerebral palsy swim because i think it's you know supposed to be good for us i think we are secretly mermaids yeah <laughs> that's what i'm going with i am ariel the little mermaid my hair is red and uh yeah I'm, i like to think i am ariel but um yeah. yeah i really like being in the water i like being in water on water near water yeah. anywhere okay. anything to do with water please and then that was very much like oh this is my community these are like my people and yeah. that's always that's so, so cool quite sort of bullshit about it and then when i went to uni um one of like the five physically disabled people at undergrad in Oxford <laughs> um, was actually an old friend of one of my uh, best mate's sisters. So, wow. yeah, we really do all know each other. I was going to say <laughs> this is this is the the one time where usually we're like, no, we don't all know each other. It's just yeah. this one situation that makes all the able-bodied people in the world go, well, they must all know each other. Yeah, yeah. I, knew I, I knew I was right. Graham, I knew yeah. I was right. This is your fault, Emily. Yeah, Thank we you. all have a group chat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one big WhatsApp group. You see, yeah. for me, I, I went to, uh, I grew up with my sister who is non-disabled, and me and my sister were never treated any differently. I am the older of the two. Mm. And there's four years difference. So I went to school. Was Sophie born before your diagnosis? Like you said, there's four years difference. So yeah. was Sophie born when you were, when your parents knew about your CP? Yes. Or was she, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it, well, it was quite, it was a relatively recent thing. Recently, yeah. oh, Lucy's disabled. Uh, I went to school with other disabled children uh, from the age of three to 19. And it meant that I was able to grow up as like a, not quote unquote normal like i wasn't have to worry about oh why are they staring at me because we were all sort of disabled <laughs> we were all staring at one another going what, what why are they doing that um no and then i when i got to about 16 17 18 i was a bit like i'm a bit i'm a bit fed up with spending all my time with disabled people i want to get out there and meet meet non-disabled people and so went to college and university for four years and spent a lot of time with non-disabled people and then found myself the age I am now kind of actually I quite like the disabled community can I come back and spend some time with you please because um there's that level of kind of 
understanding that when you're talking to other disabled people you don't have to go into all the explanation of why things are hurting mm. you just go oh yeah yeah i know have you tried this cream or this medication you know i think it it sounds like emily's experience is quite a mix of yeah. our two experiences like i my parents took a very similar approach emily to yours where you know it was she's just our daughter she can still do anything Her disability doesn't matter it is it was the very um, in the same way that, you know, people always just say, well, I don't see colour. It's a very, like, yeah. 90s, noughties kind of approach, whereas actually we're now all going, well, you know, actually, this is an important part of my identity. Yeah. Don't, don't ignore it. No. So I think it's really, you know, it, and I mean, I'm getting back into kind of doing sport and stuff now, and that I wish, I wish I'd been involved in the para sport. Yeah. Um, you know, if I... If I had a time machine, one of the many things I'd I'd go back and do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's I think it's very cool, and it, like I say, it sounds like it's kind of given you quite a a strong sense of identity that's then you've really kind of carried through. And I think you know, listening, I mean, the idea that that you're at Oxford, I very specifically made decisions about the university that I went to based on my disability. I went to yeah. De Montfort in Leicester right. because at the time it was rated the best university in the country for disabled students, like for support for disabled students. And actually it was 20 minutes from my mum's house by car. So I had even intended on commuting and not living in halls, which uh, I changed my mind about within about <laughs> three weeks. But, um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, at 19, when I was looking at unis, I, I wouldn't have dared look at somewhere like Oxford. That, the idea of that would have given me such anxiety because I just the... The access needs for me. I think about places like that, and I just think so many dark, narrow corridors. Mm -hmm. I I would be I'd be fucked. Um, and this for me was pre guide dog as well, so I wasn't Ooh. using any kind of orientation aid. I just have been walking in kind of walking. Alice is walking around with her hands in front of her, like in front of her, going, "Is is there a wall there?" I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So. It yeah, I, I think I approached it very pragmatically, to be fair. Like, my, my, my sort of viewpoint was, I mean, I ended up in a, in a reasonably accessible college, Jesus, which was good. And they said, you know, if you end up getting pulled to a college which is just completely impossible, you can move. Uh, I think it is very uh, based on which college you end up at. Mm -hmm. um, but my uh, viewpoint going into the it was like even if i have the most horrendous four years i've then got an oxford degree yeah and that's gonna make my life a lot easier because i'm very sort of aware of the fact that for my whole life i'm gonna have to you know make up for my mm -hmm. disability do you know emily that is exactly the same reason i went to university because i wanted to prove to people that there was more to me than just oh she's disabled bless her yeah, we'll, we'll give her a go because she just said I wanted to prove to people that there was more to me than my perceived barriers that yeah. I had. Um, yeah. I had a horrendous time at university. I was bullied, picked on both by other students and staff members, um, and I don't know how I held on for as long as I did to get my degree. If I, you know, I think there was many times where I was like, Do you know what, this isn't worth it. And if it hadn't been for my friends who were like, no, come on, you can do this, you can do this, that I would have gone and like given up because there's only so much shit you can take, really. Um, and I'm glad I did because it, it, that I'm proud, you know, I'm proud of that certificate. It's just a shame that I feel, felt the need I had to go to university to prove myself, um, really, you know. But I do, I mean, I think anybody... Um, you know, obviously having a having a degree yes. does does help you stand and does give people the thing, you know, they look at your your CV and they don't just see the wheelchair. But I think anybody going to Oxbridge, um mm. I mean that opens doors. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Regardless. It's not quite Staffordshire University, is it? Like <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think Staffordshire is known for, uh, you know, parliamentarians. <laughs> oh, don't. That's no. Because <laughs> it's, it's a thing, like, every person's year in every college has someone who, like, they do PPE or HISPOL or something. And yeah. they're, like, really active in the union and they do other stuff and you know that they're going to be, like, in a government yeah. job. And you're just mm -hmm. like, no please no <laughs> i have nightmares that the particular person in my year who's like that is going to be prime minister one day oh no it makes me feel ill <laughs> i hope that that you're taking pictures of that person on every <laughs> night out that yeah. you can sell to the sun as and when it happens to uh if not bring them down at least make some fucking money out of it oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm st i mean i went to uh, when I was growing up in North London, I uh, went to a very, very mixed, you know, very local authority uh, school. And one of my friend's older sisters got into, actually, I think it was Cambridge, and went to see it and was like, I am not. And this, was, this would have been probably 2001 and went, you know, to have a day at Cambridge. And they were very, it was very much, she said, I felt like the whole day they were going oh, won't it be lovely to have a overachieving <laughs> woman of colour from a council oh, estate in our, in our next cohort, you know, wow. very tokeny. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she ended up not going there because she was just like, I don't, that's not the kind of attitude of, of no. the place I want to, I exactly. want to be somewhere because people go, we want you for your merits, not because we want you for our tick box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know, is that, do you... Do oh, okay. I have a story to tell. <laughs> okay. actually to do with Oxford. It was before, it was at school. Because I, I went to private school because basically when I was in primary school, I didn't get a statement. Okay. okay. At the time, I didn't have um, any SPLDs and the statement system. I don't know if it's changed now. but it's very not, to be I, honest. <laughs> but it was very geared towards um, SPLDs. Mm -hmm. So, and it was, a lot of it was based around the reading test. Mm -hmm. And as I have learned from my, ironically, my um, ADHD diagnosis, my reading level is really, really, really high. Um, so I would always pass. The yeah, test. you'd ace it. Yeah. yeah which yeah. then meant I got no help. Um, yeah. So even like the good school, for the uh, SEN kids in my area wasn't that interested in mm. me. Um, like, it was just like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, because um, most of my mates with CP have an SPLD as well, which mm. was able to then tick that box and mm. whatever. And as well, I feel like I was punished a little bit for having, for like being high functioning. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because they were like, well, you don't need our help. Mm -hmm. um so i kind of so um i didn't have any luck on the state schools one of the other private schools was worse um because they're just like they tried to keep me in the overlay uh, when i was at the office to try and i was like that's not why i'm here um and then the um state selective school that we tried we rang up and my mom was like look my daughter's got x y and z you know what what's your policy like on that i think she like couldn't find anything on the website um about it and the receptionist was just like we don't have any child with anything here oh my god oh my <laughs> god and um, my mom went like it's like a selling point my mom was just so like stunned she just ended up stuttering out not even like dyslexia or anything <laughs> oh, she was like god. no <laughs> only normal kids here yeah. yeah so my mom obviously just hung up and was like I, I i don't remember the actual phone call but i remember the day of it because she was just like raging mad yeah when we went to um my school we met the uh, sen there and she was brilliant like mm. she was like if, you know if she gets in if she gets the grades like will do whatever yeah. which aside from a couple of crappy teachers they did pretty much stick to mm. however cut to a level results day 
um i was um trotted out um for publicity quite a lot yeah of course um so send the smiling disabled person who looks very happy to be here yeah Yeah, make sure you wipe the dribble off their chin and the biscuits off the trousers yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) so like I, i was in quite a lot of national newspapers and to be fair then a lot of it very much depended on the journalist that I was talking to, whether I had a good experience or not. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I had Chris Matthews, who was from the Times, and he was lovely. He was like, it was just a gen, it was just a nice A-level story. Yeah, rather than a, oh, look at this, just yeah. person, and yeah, 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 because you you get nice A-level stories. They're just yeah. the things that yeah. come out. Um, and then, but then the one that was written for the Girls School Association was oh what was the headline girl battles cerebral palsy to uh, win a place at oxford that uh, was, uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like i i i had my first experience of being like i never said that no mm-hmm. <laughs> i know it's um you weren't one of these people were you that had to open your a-levels just on the telly no no no, no. Oh. I, that gave me that stress gave me stress uh, <laughs> No, I checked because um, I was like refreshing UCAS, refreshing UCAS, mm. and, I, I, and then I saw, and it was like, oh right, yeah, because I always feel so sorry for those people that have to yeah. stand there with the envelope shaking, like clearly sweaty palms, if, on the telly. I don't know I don't why they do it. They like they force like you at gunpoint. Yeah, I imagine I there is like a hey, is anybody interested in doing this? And everybody goes, I'll be on the fucking telly. Who and then realise what they've got to do. Money. Yeah. 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 Pay me 50 quid just in case I uh, fail miserably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't even, because um, Oxford um, offers come out all on the same day. Um, uh-huh. You know, after you've done the exams, the interviews, whatever. I remember it's in the middle of mock exams and everyone... Basically, everyone's just getting rejected, rejected, rejected oh. all throughout the day. And I was certain because of the people who had got rejected that I wasn't getting in. So I was like, I'm going to wait until I go home. And <laughs> yeah. Because if I'm going to have a mental breakdown, <laughs> yeah, I would exactly. like to do so in the privacy of my own home. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. It's like that. It is, Alice, it is that moment of realization when they go, right, we're going to go over to Jacob, who's going to open his uh, A level result. And he's like, oh, what? No, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I think we're just going to talk oh, yeah. to me. I, I sat my uh, English A level, English literature A level, um, and I walked out and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. I did that. Like, I think it was, we did it in two, like, we did two sets of them. So we did like an exam in December or yeah. something, and then another one in like May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, fucking done that. I smashed that. Happy with that. I wrote loads and I got all like up in Shakespeare's business. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I got my, uh, I got my result paper back later like a month or so later and it was like um this is <laughs> this is very interesting um answer this is a very interesting essay but it did not answer the question so we've given oh, you an ungraded oh. oh no so i had to oh. redo the whole thing oh. um which was fine i then got a b okay but um it was yeah it, <laughs> it, the idea of having to to get that piece of paper on tv Oh, especially especially because I'm so fucking cocky going, you fucking yeah. smash that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it makes you feel any better, my girlfriend, the future pe- um, doctoral candidate who is completely um, non-disabled, uh, was helping her sister with her GCSE maths homework. And she was saying to me, oh, we're doing this thing about working out algebra from a curve on a graph. And I'm not sure we did that. I was like, babe. We, de- we definitely did do that. <laughs> oh, amazing. She was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I don't remember how to do it anymore, but we no. definitely did it. Because, yeah. uh, you know, you, I think, especially when you're doing your exams and your GCSEs and stuff, you, like, learn it for the period of time you need it, and then as soon as you don't need it anymore, you're just like, when did it, what, what was that? I don't remember that. I don't remember doing that. No. I definitely think it's, like, you know, self-preservation. Yeah. 
did you say you were doing a languages degree? Emily? Yeah, so I study French. Okay. Um, See, I think that that languages must be the exception to that rule, whereas you just have to retain the, yeah. the information at every level because otherwise <laughs> you're going to be like, I'm fluent in French, except I don't remember the word for and. Yeah, I mean, it does happen. The way we teach languages in this country is weird. Um, so you will, so like, for example, I like getting my nails done and I realized I can read all these fancy French novels. I do not know how to ask for a manicure. So that right. feels weird. There's yeah. a lot of like everyday stuff that we don't really cover, like at the correct level. Right. Do you, is there a lot of you using, uh, Google Translate, Emily, to <laughs> get your point across? Um, not, not massively. Sometimes if I need something specific, I'll have to use various, um, trans, I, I tend to avoid, uh, Google translate cause it can be a bit sketchy with mm. certain... it. Really? Yeah. If you're using specialist stuff, okay. Or you need like a word in a certain context. Right. Um, so like I have to use it for work a lot because obviously I'm quite good at French. Mm. I'm not amazing at medical French. Mm. No. So I've had to sort of, there's certain words that I've had to sort of pick up. Yeah. From work, but I'm, I'm picking up medical, all sorts of languages, just nothing else. Like I have a pretty decent grasp of like medical Italian now. I just can't do anything else. Amazing. Amazing. You could go, go, you know, go to Rome <laughs> and diagnose people. Yeah. But yeah. heaven forbid you need to ask the way your hotel is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's very niche, but at least you could do it yeah <laughs> um so talking of like obviously you're living in paris for a year emily we briefly had a chat while we were waiting for uh, alice's internet to reboot itself back up again about um sort of access in paris yes what it's like as you know as somebody who needs obviously has an access need can yeah. you tell us a bit about a little bit about what it's like for you as a disabled person living in another country that isn't is it better or worse than oxford university yeah, oh, yeah okay, okay. <laughs> oh that is a good question so, <laughs> i'd say in france people's people don't infantilize me as much which i i like a lot oh. um, so like i haven't i've never been baby voiced by a no. french person which you know I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a, so a basic things... request, really, isn't it? Is that yeah. not yeah, yeah, to yeah. talk to a grown woman like she's four. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, wow. How amazing. <laughs> wow, this is a brand new world. Yeah. 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 How progressive. <laughs> yeah. That That's pretty good. Uh, people are generally more helpful in shops, I've noticed. Mm hmm which is nice. Um, public transport system is objectively worse for access. Um, I, I've stopped basically using my wheelchair because it's not worth not being able to use the transport. No. Um, but there's like other things, like there's more benches and things, which isn't like an access need with a capital A, but it does make my life a lot easier. No, you see, I, we're working um, on a campaign at work at the moment about addressing resting spaces specifically um, because actually it is a really under um, kind of what's the word I'm looking for people don't don't raise awareness about resting spaces and actually they're a hugely important thing for a lot yeah. of people with um, disabilities so mm. and the the thing that people keep coming up against is that you immediately, when you want to put a bench or something down somewhere, the police immediately go, well, you can't do that. Homeless people will sleep on it. And you kind of go, well, <laughs> perhaps if you gave the homeless people somewhere else to sleep so that they weren't facing homelessness anymore, then... Um, Doris can have a sit down when her legs are hurting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think perhaps you're, take, you're, you're coming at this from the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the... The hostile art architecture is really, really um, bad generally for disabled people as well. Because even if you have a bench and they've done the little split thingies yeah, and they get yeah. like anti sleeping, they're not good for us. Yeah. You, have to, you have to be able to sit completely straight. Mm. Yes. Which 
a lot of us can't do. Well, my body certainly won't go completely straight, no matter how hard I try. I can, but then it negates the point of it being a wrestling spot. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not very restful or comfortable, is it? Yeah. It's, no. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, it just fascinates because, like, as I said to Emily, like, it fascinates me. Like, when I go on holiday, so I went to like, Prague with uh, college when I was at college many, many moons ago. And we found it extremely difficult because it's Prague, it's hilly, there's cobbles, it's, it was cold. Um, not that that's an access problem, it's just I don't like being cold. It's not good when you have CP. Everything no, it, everything sort of like tightens up, doesn't it? So it was really difficult. And I, as I was walking around, I was like, so where, how do disabled people live like this? Like disabled people from Prague, how do they live in an environment like this every day, day to day? And it fascinates me to be able to hear from people who, you know, are living in places like Paris to find out what it's like, you know, as a tourist is one thing, but when you're living it, and you've got no other option to sort of go, oh, I'm going home in a week, it's fine. Yeah. Um, what it's like for you as a disabled person not living somewhere like England where I, I know what to expect. It's, yeah. I find it fascinating. Finding accommodation was really tough. Um, mm. That was something that was really, really difficult um, because I need a lift. Even yes. I just... Because there will be days where I just can't do stairs. Yeah. And I can't be stuck in my flat if that's the case. Also, mm -hmm. a lot of the stairs and like the, um, you know, when you picture a Parisian apartment. Yeah. Are treacherous. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah, because they're all uneven. It's really old cities, isn't it, generally? Yes. They're just not not made for people with kind of walking impairments, particularly. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I always said that my specialist skill is being able to tell you whether something is something that looks flat is in fact flat. Yes. <laughs> Just by looking at it. I'm like, that's not flat. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. I can tell you now. Let me roll over it and I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's um, Coal Market Street in Oxford and it's a very slight decline towards the Tesco's. And everyone was <laughs> like... It's flat. And I'm like, no, it's not. Let me let go. <laughs> I'll me meet you like... down there. Bye. I'll meet, I'll meet you in the cheese aisle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I, that's that's really poor design planning there because it means that you can get into the Tesco's, but you like you've then got to get out with all yeah. your shopping back up the hill. Mm -hmm. I was that was that did wonders for my swimming though. I had to. <laughs> yeah. I got. I I see. I lost like half a stone my abs were like steel emily's ready to go to the paralympics like come on yeah i, I got a personal best at varsity that year and i credit that to the poor <laughs> access of oxford <laughs> i'd like to thank you i'd like to thank tesco's for i like you. that i like that it's so uh, people always talk about you know disabled people being able to find the silver lining in yeah, uh, in absolutely. you know exclusion and poor access it's like yeah got it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go <laughs> completely <laughs> absolutely brilliant um do you think you'll stay in paris like longer than your year will you extend it or is that possible if you I if have you to do my final year unfortunately i have right. to actually do my exams and get my degree oh. um so do you think would you know would you like to come back to france do you think that's yeah right? i think i would um i'm not sure whether i'd want to do it full time um because i i am definitely uh, i feel very strongly about where i'm from and i'm very yeah. sort of connected to you know being a manc being a northerner that <laughs> kind of thing like um I, I like i know i want to raise my family near to home like at some yeah. point in the distant future but say if there was a job where I'd have to sort of do little spells or work mm. between two offices, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. Well, and I think in the kind of work that you're doing in that kind of content creation, those that that is um, particularly if you get into kind of the sales world, that I think is something that is quite common, isn't it? Especially if you've yeah. got a language, people will be just like desperate to get you on their uh, on their payroll. Yeah. Well, that's why i've actually when i've been learning languages there are some languages i've opted not to learn so i don't get sent through that country yeah right 
So for example, everyone who, everyone in my life who's like super, super capitalistic has been like, why don't you learn Mandarin? That would earn you yeah. loads of money. And I'd be like, no, I'm not going to no. China. Sorry. I've, I've never fancied China as a holiday, never mind a work destination. And it's like, no, 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 neither. no, it's very far. It very is far. very far. I don't think I would cope very lot, very well on an aeroplane for that long. That's probably one of the reasons why I've never been to Australia or New Zealand because I don't think I could. I, I don't like sitting in chairs that don't move. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not probably because you, you go dead really quickly when you have CP. Yeah, I do. I, I, I literally sitting in a traffic jam. Uh, I get irritable because i'm not in a chair that i can because then... you're used to just being like just go forward just move <laughs> move yourself forward in yeah i get very i get very irritable that i can't move in in a chair it's um yeah it makes me very cross but there you yeah, just things i get cross about all the time um it's uh but yeah i it's i i always think that maybe if i'd have been non-disabled I would have probably traveled a bit more than I actually have because I think whilst I like traveling and going on holiday and doing all those nice little things, I am, by the time I get back off my holiday, like to Tenerife or Spain or wherever, I am absolutely lacking and need about three weeks to recover from it. So oh. I am always, I'm always a little bit jealous of people that can, you know, go, go away on holiday. And I go do, I do know a bunch it. of people who did that, like, oh, you know, I went to Bali if, and uh career and stuff on my year like i took a year out and i went yeah. traveling and i went backpacking and i'm like yeah no i'd i would have i wouldn't have made it out the airport on my own no. i couldn't have yeah. done it. no well, and yeah. what you know you 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 hear don't you people that travel like they're disability travel experts and you think it's all very well and good but you know you're sometimes there the person's disability isn't the same as my disability and so yeah. their needs and my needs are different and i'm thinking yeah that's okay for you because you can sort of stand up and walk a bit but if i've got to push myself up a massive hill every um, day <laughs> well speaking of massive hills <laughs> We were, we, I was, I had a really uh, amazing opportunity where we had the all, because our, my um, organization has an office in Paris, Brussels and Barcelona. Okay. So every two years or so, they have a massive seminar somewhere for mm -hmm. everyone to chat and meet each other. Yeah. Because a lot of people are also not in any of those offices as well and work remotely, um, you know, yeah. especially if they've got kids who are affected by those conditions, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and the city they picked was Lisbon. Right. Um, which was lovely. I enjoyed being in the sun for a few days. It, well, it was slightly weird being in my bikini around my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> That it was mostly really good. However, one of the days we did a team building activity where it was doing a treasure hunt around Lisbon and it right. soon turned into pushing me around Lisbon became the team building. It's so hilly. Is like, yeah. It's literally this. Can we just ban hills? Do you think we can ban hills? I, I think they're quite... Um... Uh, uh, it's it's not the sort of thing that you can just be like right you know let's let's trim all the hills off um oh, fairly, fairly yeah, solid important and probably quite important ge oh. geologically um i'm afraid loose <sighs> sorry yeah. uh, could you imagine though if like they said right we're going to just make england flat i mean it would be very boring but imagine how much speed we would get up it would be amazing we could yeah, just but like lose the joy of going downhill. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, maybe just make like really slippy floor. Oh, we're we're going off topic here. Um, <laughs> this but, is, yeah. this is the the uh, grand redesign Lucy has for the yeah. UK is to basically <laughs> just bulldoze the whole lot, hills and mountains included, and then make all of the floors inside buildings like gym floors that are dead slippy you know like when you're at school and you go to the gym and the floor's like over polished 
you did yeah. one push and you could travel like miles. Also, yeah, or you know when you go to like a shopping centre. Yes. But, but but my dogs get really don't like that because the floor's too slippy and they get worried that like they get Lola in particular was really bad. She'd be like walking out and be go, like, oh, I'm really worried. I'm gonna Look, fall down. Right. This is the first draft of the plan, Alice. I right, will okay. I will address your dogs when we get to draft three. Right. Or okay. Two. Yeah. <laughs> And I think well, the the ultimate pitch, Luce, is that we now we need to make sure we connect with um, Emily's classmate, who's going to be the future prime minister. Yeah, that, pitch yeah. it to them. Yeah. He is a Tory, though. Um, I don't think. Yeah, we're no, you've got, you got no <laughs> fucking rights, from. Yeah, no, maybe no. not. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll be far too busy uh, trying to institutionalize you again, Lucy, yeah. or you know, <laughs> use you as firewood, which is uh, I'm convinced is the ultimate plan for uh, <laughs> Tories to deal with uh, disabled people. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a dream I have being able to like move around and not feel exhausted when I've finished my shopping. Like it's where like, where I live, uh, our shopping centre. I was going to say we've started this new thing called a DVD. <laughs> DVD. Yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Um, Emily, so we've done Emily. a lot of chatting. Emily. We've done a lot of chatting shit. Was there anything in particular you wanted to talk to us or raise before we? kind of start winding things down oh god um <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about the writing you've been doing on disability fashion so um i've been writing a lot about like how to adapt certain trends for certain body types and like how certain things work and don't work and how to like make your clothes adapted even if you can't afford adaptive clothing because adaptive clothing still has a little bit of an inaccessible price point which is understandable because obviously it's not fast fashion mm -hmm. no but it's obviously still not always ideal and i wrote little bits and bobs about that i've also written about uh disability representation in the fashion industry so the likes of jillian mccardo aaron paul um, and Sinead Burke who are all doing really cool things mm. and how they are sort of bringing it to the mainstream because I feel like there has been a massive uptake in uh, representation in the last like two or three years. It, it is one of the beautiful things about the internet is that you know people can just put themselves out there and actually it's very easy for other people to kind of pick pick you up and make you popular in a way that um, more traditional kind of going and looking for representation, people are going to go, well, nobody wants to see a disabled person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's just, it's been such a shift because, like, even five years ago, what we're seeing now just wouldn't even be thinkable. No. no. So. No. It's, and I think, you know, inaccessibility around fashion is something that people not a lot of people really kind of can you know when you say accessibility to people most people think lifts and toilets yes. um so i think you know the idea exclusively. Of, yeah. yeah i think yeah. the idea of um uh you know talking about accessible fashion and inclusive fashion is uh is very cool i think and and again having that representation um out there within the fashion and beauty industry there is another emily emily davison who i am a big fan of who is a blind influencer who does yes, uh, beauty. Yes, yes. I love her. Um, yes. And of course, my uh, who's on like my top 10 dream guest list, Jessica um, Kelvin Fossard. If we can yes. get her on, she's, I mean, that woman is beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think accessible fashion is a very cool thing to be kind of promoting and raising awareness about. I wish I could be fashionable, but I'm like a potato on wheels, <laughs> to be honest. Like, no, none of my clothes ever fit me properly. And I think that's because I'm sat down all the time. So I look at something on a mannequin and it's like, oh, that's nice. And then you put it on me and I'm like, no, no, put it back. Do you ever look at, um, you know, like wheelchair um, sort of fashion icons and, and disabled? Um, occasionally, yeah. Um, but when you kind of type, when you're like looking for wheelchair, you know, fa fashion for people in wheelchairs, it's 
very, very, you're very close to looking like a bog roll cover in a wheelchair if you're not careful. They just, it's like, there's like lots of Velcro and zips and stuff that just, yeah. Think, why is that random zip there? <laughs> yeah, I was looking for a raincoat um, last autumn because mm. obviously, as you know, you get the puddling in the yeah. flies and it's yeah. awful. Yeah. And I was like, Surely someone must have thought about this before because that's, I have, that is like a weird saying when it comes to problems is I am not the first person to have had yeah. this problem. Yeah, yeah. Someone else must have thought of it before me. There, there are much smarter people in the world out there. Surely someone else has addressed yeah, exactly. this already. Yeah. It was not that you're poncho. not very smart. <laughs> it was a bloody poncho with extra zips and not yes. even like a cool fashion forward poncho. It no. was like just. It was like, I'm not wearing that. No. I refuse. Like, wow. people have talked to me, because obviously when you're sat still and you've got CP and it's cold, about, like, you know, you can get those things that you put over your legs and things. And I was like, mm. no. I've got half a sleeping bag that's that I sit in uh, that I my doctor told me I needed to get because of, I get chill blends up my legs. And I was like, I'm not wearing one. Have you seen them? They're disgusting. I'm not wearing one. They're awful. I've, well, I've given in now. I've just given, like, it's black. It goes with my chair. Nobody can see it. Um, I, and they are actually quite warm and comfortable. But you do look like a caterpillar in it, really. Um, you just, some battles you've got to, like, lose, really, I think. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I like fashion. It's the sort of inverse of that. It's because mm. I then have control over my appearance when I don't have a lot of control over other everything else. Like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I'm not implying that me putting on a full face of makeup to go and do some shopping is going to like solve ableism, mm. but it makes me feel a little bit better, yeah, especially exactly. if I'm having a crappy day. Yeah, and you know no. what? I'm I'm a big fan of um, because I don't. I, I try not to do fast fashion stuff. I'm a big fan of taking stuff to your like local tailor and yeah. being like, hey, what can you do with this? And like you talking about your sleeping bag, Lucy, I was immediately like, you need like a black and white polka dot one. <laughs> and then you need like, like a slightly fancy florally one. Yeah. Like you need, you want to, if, because I think that's that's what I I've I definitely have taken that approach of going. People are staring at me in the street because I'm walking yeah. down the street with a guide dog. Yeah. People are also I'm damn well making sure people are also staring at me because I am wearing a be I've got this beautiful cream polka dot trench coat that I adore, yeah. oh. and I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I'm like. You're you're seeing me. You're going, wow, look at that dog, and you're also going, damn, look at her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, I think as well, to a, a certain extent, it's why I dye my hair like bright colours and have crazy haircuts because I think if they're looking at me, I might as well have nice hair whilst they're looking at me. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of it's having it's that weirdly freeing. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I I basically had the same attitude of people are going to look at me anyway, even if I God forbid wore just like a grey sweatsuit all the time. Yeah, and like yeah, looked completely invisible. Yeah, I couldn't be. Yeah. So my I may as well make myself happy. And my hairdresser loves me. He he calls me his human girls world because I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to do today? That, it's like, uh, that very much ages your your yeah. hairdresser specific. He actually bought me a girls' world like like again for one of my birthdays. And <laughs> it's another thing like ages like five to seven or something. Yeah. And uh, it was in front of all my friends, and I opened this like present. It was a girls' one, and I was like, <laughs> "Funny, that's funny." And then we realised he was like, "Have you didn't think I was being offensive, like buying you a, a human girl's one for five to seven because you're in a wheelchair and like a bit like special?" I was like, "No, it's fine. It's all right. It's fine. Absolutely fine. Don't worry about it." Um, but yeah, I think I think being able to like dye my hair bright colours, like everybody knows that I, it's my that's my thing now. My hair, like I've been I've had bright red hair for a very long time, but. Up until that point, I would go in the hairdressers. I used to have very short hair and a quiff, and I would yeah. dye my quiff a different colour every time I went in. And nice. it became like my thing of, oh, what colour is Lucy's hair going to be today? Um, and I think that, yeah, again, it's because people are looking at me, so why not give them something to look at? 
Yeah. Also, yeah. I'm never going to get hired for a traditional corporate job. Anyway. Exactly. 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 <laughs> I'm never going to want out to do with me. So no. Don't bright. Dye your, dye your hair bright blue, babes. Just do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the one thing about uh, my new guide dog is that she leaves yellow hair absolutely <laughs> everywhere. So all these nice, like, I like a sort of 1950s, slightly sort of vintage retro look. Yeah. All my yeah. nice, like, I went to a work event in a black polka dot, like, wiggle dress the other day and uh came out and i'd laddered my tights because i'd caught the knee on the velcro on her harness and the like just the bottom hem on the left hand side where the dog is of my dress was just yellow it's just yellow it's like yeah there is definitely um you can you can look i can leave the house looking like a you know banging disabled person i come home and it's like you smell a bit like dog yeah and uh and yeah i am definitely still stooping in the street to have to pick up shit (laughs) yeah i was gonna say it doesn't doesn't quite carry off all day long unfortunately (laughs) yeah it's all fun and games like getting into a nice dress and then realizing that disabled toilet is like 20 minutes away and then yeah shit Yeah. Oh, it's been it's been fun having you on, Emily. I feel like Lucy and I have talked over you a lot, but you. No, it's right. No worries. Um and uh, yeah, we'd um, we're always looking for bonus content stuff. So if you ever fancy turning your writing skills to uh, contribute something to Labeled, we'd love to hear from you. Of course. Do you want to tell the people out there where they can find you on the internet if there's anything you kind of want to plug? Yeah, so um, my website is at ashakyprecipice.com. My Instagram is at mmaynock, so E-M-M-A-N-O-C-K-X-X. And then my Twitter is just my name. So that's fine awesome uh well if you guys have enjoyed this episode make sure that you rate review and subscribe uh because that's a brilliant way to show your support for the show that doesn't cost you anything uh and we know times are hard so save your pennies for important things like gin yes (laughs) emily thank you so much for joining us oh it's been a pleasure yeah you can feel free to come back anytime you like and if you're in the pub uh, and you see us sort of sitting there just having a chinwag. Come and join us. Why not, eh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that, is, that is one of the things I miss. What, the pub? Yeah. I don't think they do pubs in the same sort of context in France, do they? No. They they have, like, novelty Irish pubs, but that's basically it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's Guinness or nothing, really. Yeah. Or yeah. kind of, like, you a slightly posh French vintage uh thing i imagine isn't it yeah and then yeah and then there's that so yeah <laughs> well it's been lovely to speak to you emily uh, yeah. thanks so much for joining us and no we will see you all next time thanks bye 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 thanks for listening to the label podcast if you like the show you can rate review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at labeled pod This episode was edited by Adam Hall, our music was by Maisie Crunden, and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.